listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Which Shenandoah Valley campaign general came the closest to killing Abraham Lincoln? Hint, it's not Stonewall Jackson. We'll find out when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. When I was 12, my father was killed in an industrial accident. At the Vacant lot. Where he worked. My mother insisted I stay in the highway on-ramp to get an education. So she took a job uh, waiting tables at a parking garage to support us. She worked double shifts. And on her break, she would pick me up from the highway on-ramp and drop me off at the big office building. And I'd spend hours and hours just reading books. I remember every Saturday we'd have breakfast at the parking garage. And I'd tell her what I had read. And her eyes would just light up. <laughs> because she knew I'd end up in college, not working at the vacant lot like my dad. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit nationaltrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council. Hey, y'all. This is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org, to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with the author of Shenandoah 1862, Stonewall Jackson's Valley Campaign. It's Peter Cousins, author of numerous Civil War battle books, and this a book on a famous uh, campaign, but one that's not been written about nearly as extensively as one might imagine. Uh, the person who has been written about extensively, on the other hand, is Stonewall Jackson, the Confederate commander throughout uh, the Valley Campaign. And, uh, uh, Peter, it seems to me your picture of, of Jackson is not as worshipful as some that we have become accustomed to reading in, in recent uh, historiography. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think it's very fair to say. I, uh, Jackson, you know, I, 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 there's no question Jackson accomplished the broad strategic objective laid out for him, which was to keep as many federal troops in the valley as possible and away from McClellan and to try to divert troops already on the peninsula uh, from McClellan to the valley, again, to keep the pressure off the defenses of Richmond. He succeeded in that uh, very well, and uh, in, in part because the uh, Lincoln administration didn't place all that much importance in the valley 
the through the majority of the Valley campaign up until the final weeks, there were never that many federal troops in the Valley. Jackson did not face uh, you know, serious, uh, seriously uh, greater numerical numerical odds. But that, that's again, that's a whole other path we can go down. Hmm. But he, he 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 did accomplish his strategic objectives. But where I found him lacking, uh, in particular, was in his tactical deployment of his troops. Uh, there was a, t- a tendency to, at Kernstown, uh, at Port Republic in particular, to deploy his troops piecemeal uh, rather than wait until he had uh, uh, enough forces well in hand to, to, to make success less bloody, less time-consuming. Uh, in the case of Kernstown, uh, his, his, his deployment... Uh, was such that uh, uh, if there had been a more aggressive Union commander opposing him, he may have had his army destroyed. Another uh, aspect of, of his character that he didn't particularly care for was his tendency, whenever he won a victory, it was God's will. Uh, and that's, that he believed that. Uh, that was in his dispatches, announcing his victories. Every victory was God's will. Every defeat, on the other hand, was could be blamed on a subordinate, and, and Jackson did not hesitate to to look for scapegoats. And uh, in, in my view, in no instance in the Valley campaign were they justified, neither in his going after William Loring after the uh, Romney campaign, nor particularly in uh, bringing charges against Richard Garnett at Kernstown. I also deplore his his secretiveness, his his uh, unwillingness to share not only his his uh, larger strategic objectives at times, but but consistently his tactical plans with even his second in command. And to me that's 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 that remains incomprehensible. Uh that, that a command general would not share his plans with a second in command or in many instances communicate directly with him on the field of battle. Uh if Jackson had been had gone down at Kernstown, Garnett would not have had the slightest idea of what Jackson's plans were, what Jackson intended for him, and that was a pattern that, that Jackson repeated. And uh, so I, I also, you know, find fault with that. Do you do you wonder if he even knew? I mean, I mean, like he didn't tell Garnett anything, didn't tell Ewell anything, he didn't tell anybody anything. Uh, certainly, the, the Union forces could never figure out what he was doing, but as you say, neither could his own forces. Uh, I wonder if he was making it up as he went along. Uh, you know, that's, I guess, an interesting perspective. Uh, there may have been an element of that. I don't think that. I don't think that was uh, that was the determining factor. Um, I think he just he took reticence to a to a uh, to a, a a prejudicial extreme. Mm-hmm. But even if he if he had been making things up as he went along, let's say at, at Kernstown, for instance, it, it would have been. It was incumbent upon him to, to to let his second in command subordinates know as as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, not not only Garnett as second in command, but but uh, a brigade commander who shared the what was the main Confederate um, uh, uh, you know uh, point of force at Kernstown, Sam Fulkerson, had no idea either what Jackson intended. So. Even if he was making up as he went along, it was his obligation to let others know as soon as he he, he no, that does make sense. what he intended to do. I think. 
Now, your your point about uh, that it was God's will when he won, but somebody's fault when he lost reminds me when uh, when someone scores a touchdown on Saturday afternoon. Uh, well, not in the college, they get a flag for it, but in, in the pros, there's the celebration and posturing and and the gesturing skyward as though, thank you, God, for this touchdown. But you never see the defensive back saying, God, where were you? You know, Why didn't you help me double cover this guy? Um, you know, God never gets the blame, just the credit. Uh, uh, and certainly that was Jackson's way uh, when things went badly. But uh, let me move on from Jackson a minute to another character who I thought was very interesting. Uh, uh, as I asked during the break, uh, which uh, general in the campaign came closest to killing Abraham Lincoln, uh, and of course listeners to the show uh, who have heard our many Lincoln books discussed here will remember the duel that Lincoln almost fought with James Shields back in, uh, the Irish eight, in James Shields, right? uh, 1842, I want to say, or 41. Um, now, I thought your treatment of Shields was interesting because it was uh, when you introduced him as a character. You talked about his background, Mexican War, and serving in the uh, Illinois state government, and it was quite favorable. And I found that interesting because normally, when Shields is introduced as a bit part in a Lincoln biography, uh, he he comes across as a buffoon and a egotistical popinjay uh, with a bad temper. And I, I looked at your sources. Uh, Gustav Kerner was. was I th- it was one certainly that you cited in, in describing uh, Shields, and I would say most of the sources used for, for Shields seem to be Democratic leaning in their politics, uh, at least at the time they were written. Whereas the people who write about Shields from a Lincoln perspective uh, themselves are usually using Republican sources, and Shields comes off entirely differently. Uh, but by the time we get to the end of the Shields story in your book, certainly he has. Uh, not done quite so well as he does in your introduction. Uh, what did you think of him uh, as a, a general? Uh, I thought he was in over his head. Um, I, I think he has some ability, but certainly not as much as he gave himself credit for having. He he had been wounded on the eve of the Battle of Kernstown, and exercise, although he tried to issue orders from from his bed in Winchester, exercised no real uh, control over events and really played no part, no significant part in the victory. But he claimed the victory for his own at the expense of, of the commander in the field, Colonel Mason Kimball. He, um, he inflated his victories. He and his, his, he was an egotist, there's no question about that. And that came out increasingly as the campaign progressed. He um, never missed an opportunity to, to uh, go on at length and correspond with Lincoln as to what he thought the proper course of action should be in the Valley, and uh, also at the same time uh, criticizing other generals. He, his move uh, down the Page Valley... Uh, with his his supposed intent of cutting off Jackson's retreat southward in the Shenandoah Valley, was poorly managed. Uh, it was tentative. He uh, even went so far as to lie to subordinates. Generals Carroll and Tyler fought the Battle of Port Republic with the understanding that Shields was going to reinforce him with the rest of his division when Shields really had no intention of doing so, or if he had an intention 
of doing so. We didn't have the stomach for it. Um, when it came to closing the pinchers on Jackson as Jackson was falling back from the Potomac River and Harper's Ferry after um, you know, threatening a crossing the Potomac following Winchester, he, he came up short. Uh, he, he, he flinched and uh, was unwilling, unable through his own constitution to, 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 to make that final, final necessary push against Jackson. Uh, as was Fremont from the other direction. Um, no, I, I, my opinion of, of Shields is not particularly high. And I, 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 expect, I, I didn't, I don't think I said it uh, directly in the book. Maybe I did in the, in the introduction, I can't recall, but I, I speculated myself what might have happened had Frederick Lander been in command at Kernstown and had not been wounded. And um, uh, instead of Shields, and even if he had been wounded, uh, uh, and been able to take the field as Shields was within a couple of days. How things might have come out differently, uh, and also later in the campaign, given given Anders' tremendous aggressiveness. Now, let me ask you uh, an alternate question now, one about writing, and this this came up in some recent discussions. Um, uh, when when writing about war, inevitably uh, we we get into uh, casualties. This is what you know, the essence of battle in many ways. And for many years, there was, uh, many decades in, in popular historical writing, there was a sort of uh, sanitized way of, of anthropomorphizing uh, military units so that you'd say uh, the Stonewall Brigade got a black eye or, uh, you know, Shields Division suffered a bloody nose at Kernstown uh, as if it were a single being with a slight injury. Uh, the The... In, in um, Stanley Cooper's movie, in, in uh, Doctor Strangelove, when uh, the, the crazy general saying, "Yeah, we might take ten million casualties. We'll get our hair mussed." Right. Um, I recall that. Yeah, yeah uh, that's the exaggeration to the extreme. Um, getting your hair mussed is ten million casualties. Uh, the Stonewall Brigade suffers a bloody nose. That's actually how many? Five, ten, twenty, a hundred uh, young men killed or wounded. That kind of that style of writing has fortunately, I think, gone away to a large extent, and and writers are a little more forthright about that. There's there's killing here. Um, where do you come down on that? You the the alternative is to take it too far and describe the deaths in great uh, almost pleasure, and some writers I think go too far that way. I thought your book hit an appropriate medium, but uh, do you ever think about that issue? Well, I'm glad it struck you that way. Uh, yes, I mean, I, uh, I find war deplorable, and the whole notion of, of, of killing someone in combat um, difficult to comprehend. This despite of the fact that I was an Army officer, uh, a combat arms unit, uh, before joining the Foreign Service. And... Uh, I've seen my, my share of violence, terrorism-related violence in the Foreign Service abroad, and, and uh, you know, I take, I take no pleasure from these descriptions, from describing, you know, the, the, the suffering and, and the brutality of combat. Neither do I want to, to present too, too sanitary an account of what happened. Um, again, I, I, I try to let the sources the, the, the guide me and, and let the, 
let the people involved um, speak for themselves, give voice to to uh, their perceptions of the suffering and, and uh, inflicted, and uh, even what it felt like to 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 shoot someone else or to be wounded in the battlefield or to be with be there on the battlefield at night listening to the, the screams and the, the cries of the wounded and unable to do anything about it. Uh, I, mean, I certainly take no pleasure in it. I, I don't I don't want to dwell on it. I try. I do try to get rid of the things in, in, a, in a, as human a light as possible. Well, I think that answer of, of letting the sources speak for themselves on that is a very uh, you know, professional historical answer and uh, uh, it certainly makes sense to me as an appropriate way to handle it. I regret that our hour is up already. Uh, I will say again to our listeners, I really enjoyed this book and highly recommend Shenandoah 1862. And uh, Peter, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you so much, Jerry, for, for inviting me. And I enjoyed it thoroughly, too. And, and thank you very much for the compliments on, on my, my book. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. 